dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, we present the final installment of our current listener library series featuring suggestions from you, our mysterious listeners. Today's episode was chosen by Mark. Mark initially requested three skeleton key from suspense, but since we're saving that particular classic for a special occasion, he was kind enough to suggest another suspense episode, The Yellow Wallpaper. Radio's outstanding theater of thrills debuted on CBS in 1942 and ran an astounding 20 years. During that time, suspense featured a veritable cavalcade of stars, including one actress who became forever linked to the show, Agnes Moorhead. Her compelling performance in the suspense classic Sorry Wrong Number earned her the title First Lady of Suspense, and Moorhead returned many times to the show, including today's story, The Yellow Wallpaper. The Yellow Wallpaper is based on the classic short story by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Suspense first aired the story in 1948 and again in 1957. Both versions starred Agnes Moorhead. But Mark expressed a preference for the 1948 version, and we agree with his assessment. The script differences between the two are minor, but as Mark points out, the performances in the latter feel frantic and overly dramatic. Mark was also kind enough to provide some background on Gilman's story, as well as a few questions to consider as we listen. Mark writes, As you may know, Gilman's story was rediscovered in the 1970s by feminist scholars who saw it as an important text about how women's voices were silenced in a patriarchal society. Some of those feminist scholars talked as though the story had been completely forgotten since it was published in 1892, but as these radio adaptations make clear, that was not the case. It was simply relegated to the status of a goth horror tale rather than a literary, let alone feminist, masterpiece. So I'm interested in what you gentlemen think of this pre-feminist rediscovery adaptation. Does it work as a psychological horror story? Does it work as a radio adaptation? And if you wish to consider it, how much of Gilman's feminist narrative survives in this telling? It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. In just a moment, Suspense, starring Agnes Moorhead. Hi, Hap. Hello, Ann. How are things? Couldn't be better. Except walking 12 blocks to your service station just isn't for me. You got my new spark plugs in? Just finished putting those brand new Autolite resistor spark plugs in your car. Guess she takes a big load off your arches, eh, Hap? <laughs> sure does. My feet have the pepper nuts to pick up. <laughs> what are you listening to tonight? Oh, it's Thursday, Hap. I'm listening to the Autolite Suspense Show. Never miss it. Well, here's where I rest my weary bones and listen to Agnes Moorhead. Hey, Hap, here comes Frank Martin, the Autolite salesman, to join us. Hello, Frank. Hi, Ed. Meet Hap Horton. Autolite spark plugs, batteries, and ignition systems. <laughs> the lifeline <laughs> of your car. <laughs> well, thanks, Mr. Horton, for the assist. And wait until I give you the real lowdown on those brand-new Autolite resistor spark plugs Ed just put in your car. Say they... Say it later, Frank. Here comes Agnes Moorhead. Suspense. 
Autolite and its 60,000 dealers and service stations bring you radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Starring tonight, Miss Agnes Moorhead in a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Today, everybody's switching to Autolite, and tonight, Autolite takes pleasure in presenting... Anton Leda's production of the famous short story, The Yellow Wallpaper, starring Agnes Moorhead. I've never seen a worse wallpaper in my life. All those strangled heads and bulbous eyes and fungus growth seemed to shriek with derision. When we came to this house, the minute I saw it, I made up my mind secretly to start writing again in spite of them. But I don't dare let John know I'm keeping this journal. It's difficult being married to a doctor. John's an excellent doctor, I'm sure, but he's so inconsistent about me. He says I'm not really sick, that I'm only a little run down from caring for the baby, that I have a temporary nervous depression, that he prescribes phosphates or phosphites, I don't know which, and tonics and exercise. And he absolutely forbids me to work until I'm well again. He hates for me to write a word. But writing is such a relief to my mind. I can write down things, tell things here that... No, John says I'm not to brood about those things. I confess they make me feel bad, so I'll only write about the house. I saw it for the first time today. It's the most beautiful place. John rented it for the summer, and we drove up today a perfect June morning. The bay and the white sails and people already in swimming, and then the shaded lane and the riotous old-fashioned flowers and the gnarly trees and the house. The house standing alone in the summer stillness. I could never tell John, but you know, the house spoke to me. It was only because he rattled on so that I couldn't hear what Reminded he... me of those English places you read about. Gardeners, cottages, and everything, and had only 200 a month. Hedges and walls and gates that lock, and there's a ghostliness. Remember, I rented it just for you, darling. And you're going to let Jenny do all the work while you live like, uh, well, like a prince. You like it, darling? Speak up. Yes, John. Yes, it's lovely, but it's strange, as though it... Might be haunted. Darling, you've got that look on your face again. That dopey look. Well, Jean is home. There's a station wagon. And if I know my dear sister, she's already turned the place inside out and cleaned it top to bottom. John, is it haunted, do you think? What? The house? Uh At 200 a month? Well, that's asking too much of faith. Come on. How about... You always laugh at anything you can't touch or see or put down in figures. There is something strange about the house, I think. If you weren't always imagining... I'm not imagining. One reason I don't get well is that you don't believe me. You don't even believe I'm sick. You tell my friends and relatives. I've heard you. I've heard you that there's nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. Is that again? I'm sorry. Please don't cry. Now, come along. (laughs) Let's go inside. And so I came into this house in tears. It was wrong. It was all wrong. Maybe the house saw me crying, or this room. I got so unreasonably angry with John. I shouldn't, I know. He's so careful and loving, and I repay him so badly. I should control myself, at least in front of him. But it makes me so tired not to show what I feel. Jenny met us at the door. Naturally, she saw I'd been crying, but she took pains to ignore it. Well, hello, you two. You're early. You must have started at the crack of dawn. 
How was the trip? Made it in less than two hours. They're like his peas in a pod, Jenny and John, both efficient and kind. And how did you bear up, Pet? Oh, very well, thank you, Jenny. Both kind and both somehow cruel. But I don't really think that. Well, you're just in time for lunch. I bought a flounder down at the wharf and cooked it with capers and cream. Sound good? Wonderful, Jenny. May I see the house first? The whole grand tour? Oh, Pet, the flounder will cook to death. Well, at least my room. Our room. <laughs> All right, if you insist. But if that fish is spoiled, don't blame me. Why would I blame her? Whose room is this, Jenny? Yours? Uh-huh, it's small, but it's near the door in the telephone. Oh, John, John, look. What? Let's take this one for you and me. I love those roses over the window. I've already put your things upstairs, Pet. Well, this has a little porch and such pretty old-fashioned chintz hangs. Let's oh, you'll take love the this. room upstairs, darling. And you can see there's no room in here for two beds. And I won't hear of being in separate rooms. I'm going to make you rest and take your tonic. John and I have talked it all over. And the room at the top of the house has so many windows. And you know, darling, you must absorb lots of fresh air. Get your appetite back. They smother me with concern. They crush me with kindness. Come along. (laughs) There's a good girl. All right. You know what's best. And you're going to like that nursery. It gets loads of sunshine. Up the steep, narrow stairs, two stories up to the very top of the house. There's a gate at the top that locks. I wonder why. And beyond the gate is the nursery room. This room. It is big and airy, nearly a whole floor with windows that look every way. They say it was a nursery. But what was it, really? Open them all, Jenny. Wide. All right. Well, darling? Why are the windows barred? Uh, for the little children. Otherwise, it wouldn't be safe. Oh, yeah. I suppose. Children climb around so, don't they? <laughs> what are those, those rings and things in the walls? Oh, I expect they made it into a gymnasium when the children got older. Uh, a sort of playground. Oh, they must have hated the wallpaper. <laughs> well, they were rough on it, that's for sure. No way, they stripped it off in patches. I don't blame them. It's hideous. Oh, who wants to look at the wallpaper with this view? My, you can see the whole bay. It's a revolting color. It's unclean. Such a strange, sickish yellow there where the sun's faded it. I never saw worse paper in my life. Don't dramatize it, darling. You must be hungry, and I know you're tired. I'm not tired. Why do you both act this way? I say the wallpaper's ugly, and you look at each other. Your eyes shuffle back and forth, and suddenly you both act as though I'd lost my... Darling, that was something we weren't going to say. Be a good girl, Pet. We don't act anyway. We just don't want you to worry. We want you to be well. It's true, that's all they want. John laughs at me, of course, but one expects that in marriage. And he says I have foolish fancies and he sometimes can talk them away, but not this time. No matter what he says, it's a smoldering, sulfurous, unclean, it's hideous wallpaper. No wonder the children scratched at it and stripped it down. No wonder they gouged the plaster with their little fingernails. No wonder they hate it. I hate it myself. And somehow, I feel it hates me. Suspense, Autolite is bringing you Miss Agnes Moorhead in the yellow wallpaper. Autolite's presentation of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, 
Suspense. Isn't she terrific? Yes, sir. Agnes Moorhead is always terrific. She sure is. Say, car sure sounds good. I couldn't resist stepping on the starter. Well, these new Autolite resistor spark plugs sure make this a contented car. Yep, and you got the first set in town. Well, right now you can get Autolite resistor spark plugs almost anywhere in the United States. It's sensational. Why, no other spark plug will give and maintain such performance. Ooh, sounds like a good sales story. Uh, where did the name Resistor come from, Mr. Martin? Autolite worked with leading car and truck manufacturers, and they ignition engineered a 10,000-ohm resistor right into the Autolite spark plug. That permits a wider spark gap setting and maintains it far longer than any other spark plugs. Mm-hmm. Actually, Mr. Horton, when you replace your narrow-gap spark plugs with a set of wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs, you can tell the difference in your car. That's right from the book, I'll bet, eh, Mr. Martin? Well, I guess so, but here's the simple lowdown. As a result of the wide gap in the resistor spark plug, your engine idles smoother. You have better luck with lean gas mixtures and save gas. And within established limits, you reduce spark plug interference with radio and television reception. Yes, and today you can get the resistor spark plug from almost any of Autolite's 60,000 dealers. That's the biggest spark plug news in years. And now Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Miss Agnes Moorhead as star in... The Yellow Wallpaper, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. We've been here two weeks, and I haven't felt like riding again since that first day. I'm sitting by the window now, up in this frightful nursery room. There's nothing to stop my riding as much as I please. John is away all day and sometimes even at night if he has a serious case. I'm glad my case is not serious. But these nervous troubles can be depressing all the same. I cry at nothing and cry most of the time. John doesn't know how much I suffer. He knows there's no reason to suffer and that satisfies him. I suppose John was never nervous in his life. He laughs at me so about this wallpaper. <laughs> no, I won't let you have your way, you silly goose. If we'd taken the room downstairs, you'd be seeing faces in the chin straight. Not faces. Look at that spot, John. And that one over there. Yes, I see. It's a repeating pattern. It's a broken neck with two bulging eyes staring at me upside down. <laughs> and to me, it's a climbing ivy or some kind of a vine. Take your choice. Could be anything. Besides, I can't repaper a room just for a three months' rental. Well, then let's move downstairs. Take me away from her. Don't you see, John? It hates me. I wish I'd get well faster. Yes, use your will and your good sense. Darling. I'm afraid. But you're so much better. When I married you, I meant to be such a help, and I'm only a burden. You are a help to me. You're my comfort. I can't even be with my baby. It makes me so nervous. Will I ever be well enough to see him again? Of course you'll be well, if you try. Then I'll try, I promise. From now on, I won't look at the wallpaper, and I'll stop seeing things out of the windows. Out the windows? I see people walking up and down the paths and in the arbors. I know it's silly, and it's only in certain lights when I look at the wallpaper from the bed that I see... See what? Nothing. Nothing. No, you're right. There's nothing except a pattern. 
A front pattern and an under pattern in a different shade of yellow. It dwells in my mind so. I lie on that great immovable bed. It's nailed down, I believe, and follow that pattern about by the hour. And then where it isn't faded and when the sun is just so, I see a strange, faint, formless sort of figure lurking, waiting behind that front design. I don't know why I should write like this day after day. I don't want to. I don't feel able. And I know John would think it absurd that I must express what I feel and think in some way. It's such a relief. There are things in that wallpaper that nobody knows about but me. You know, there's a woman stooping down and creeping about behind that pattern. Last night it was moonlight and the moon shines in all around just as the sun does. John was asleep and I hated to waken him so I, I kept still and watched the moonlight on the wall till I felt creepy. The woman behind the paper began to shake the pattern as if she wanted to get out. I got up softly and went and felt the paper to see if it did move. It moved. It moved, I'm sure of it. And a poor woman cried out as though her voice came a long way over water. thing. Then I went back to the bed. John was awake. What is it, darling? Why are you up? You shouldn't go walking around like that. You'll catch cold. The moonlight woke me. You are cold. You're shivering. John, I'm not really getting better. Won't you take me away? Our lease will be up in three weeks, darling. I, I don't see how we can leave before then. Of course, if you were in any danger, I would, but you really are better, dear, whether you see it or not. I'm a doctor, and I know. Oh, my appetite may be better in the evening when you're here, but it's worse in the morning when you're gone. Why, you're gaining flesh and color. Oh, way a bit more, not even as much. Well, bless your little heart. You shall be as sick as you please. But let's go to sleep, huh? And talk about it in the morning. You won't go away? How can I, dear? And why should I, since you're better? Better in body, perhaps, but... Darling... For my sake and your sake and for the sake of our child, I beg you not to let that idea enter your head. Not for an instant. Can't you trust me as a doctor when I tell you it's a a false and foolish idea? Answer me, darling. Don't you trust me? Yes, of course I trust you, only... What? Uh I'm sleepy. Let's go to sleep. But I didn't sleep. I lay there for hours trying to decide if the front pattern and the back pattern moved together or separately. At night, in the moonlight, the front pattern becomes bars. And the woman behind it shakes the bars. Yes, she shakes the bars as she creeps around. I lie down ever so much now. John says it's good for me and to sleep all I can. But you see, I don't sleep. And that cultivates deceit, for I don't tell him I'm awake. Oh, no. Fact is, I'm getting a little afraid of John. He seems very odd sometimes, and it strikes me that perhaps it's the yellow wallpaper. I like this room now. 
and life is much more exciting than it used to be. I have something more to expect, to look forward to, to watch. And I really do eat better, and I'm quieter than I was. John is pleased to see me improve. <laughs> you see, you're flourishing like a weed in spite of your wallpaper. Yes. <laughs> in spite of the wallpaper. In spite of it. Because of it. But I had no intention of telling him that. He might want to take me away, and I don't want to leave now until I found out. There's one week more, and I think that will be enough. There's a funny mark on the wall low down near the mop board. A streak that runs around the room, goes behind every piece of furniture except the bed. A long, straight, even smudge as if it had been rubbed over and over and over. How was it done? Who did it? What did they do? Round and round. Round and round. Round. It makes me dizzy. I've really discovered something at last. There are a great many women behind the pattern, and sometimes only one, and she creeps around fast, and her creeping shakes the pattern. She's trying to climb through and can't because the pattern strangles everything. But she does get out in the daytime, I know because I've seen her. When a car comes, she hides in the blackberry vines. I don't blame her, I'd hide too. I always lock the door when I creep by daylight. There are only two days left to tear this paper off and let the woman out in the room. And John's beginning to take notice. I don't like the look in his eyes or the way he talks with Jenny about me. I overheard them. She isn't sleeping nights, Jenny. She's quiet, but I know she's awake. Well, it's a little wonder she sleeps the whole blessed day. Well, maybe I ought to call in another doctor. Now, it's just stubbornness, John. She's determined to prove you're wrong. <laughs> I suppose you're right. Oh, I'm sure she'll improve. Oh, darling. Well, hello, Ted. How you creep about? Well, that's a funny thing to say, Jenny. It isn't I who creeps. Jenny says you stay in your room too much. You don't take your exercise. You tell me to rest, and then you tell me to take exercise. I can't do both. Well, though I can't see through them. Tomorrow's our last day here. We'll talk about exercise when I get you back to town. I'll have to rouse you out of bed pretty early, Ted. You know, some of that furniture up there belongs downstairs, and the movers will be here at nine. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll sleep upstairs tonight, Jenny. Uh, so you won't be alone, darling. You won't be here tonight, John? Well, not until tomorrow evening. Uh, there's a difficult case. If you're going to feel lonesome... Oh, no, Jenny, I'll rest better alone, I'm sure of it. Thank you all the same. That was clever of me. The sly thing. I won't be alone a bit. As soon as the moon shone in, the poor thing behind the paper began to crawl and shake the pattern. I ran to her. I pulled. And she shook. I shook. And she pulled. In my morning, we peeled off yards and yards of yellow wallpaper. A strip about as high as my head and half around the room. When Jenny came up in the morning, she looked at the wall in amazement. <laughs> 
You know why I did it, Jenny? Just to spite the vicious thing. Why are you so surprised? Oh, I, I, I'm not. <laughs> why, I wouldn't mind doing it myself. But you mustn't tire yourself. She yet. wouldn't mind doing it. Why don't you come downstairs and lie down? She betrayed herself, that Jenny. She wouldn't mind doing it. But I'm here and no person touches this paper but me. Not alive. I've locked the door and thrown the key down into the front path. I don't want anybody to come in till John comes. I want to surprise him. And I've got a rope up here. Even Jenny doesn't know that. If the woman gets out from behind the pattern and tries to run away, I can tie her securely to one of the rings in the wall. There. There she is. There. See how the pattern moves. Like wallowing seaweeds. Oh, it'll strangle her unless I help. Wait. 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 I'll help you. I'll peel off the paper all I can. Wait. Wait. Be patient. You, you, you push. You push it out, Paul. Oh, it's... It sticks horribly to the plaster. I can get it off with my teeth. Oh, 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 it hurts. But I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Wait, wait, just a, just a little bit more. I'm getting it. I'm going a little bit more. A little bit more. A little more. I wonder if they all came out of the wallpaper. As I did. I think they did. But I have you securely tied by my rope now. You'll never get away. But I don't want to get away. It's so pleasant to be out in this great room to creep about as I please. It's so pleasant. But I suppose I'll, I'll have to get back behind... The pattern when night comes. That will be hard to do. Well, it's it's better than going outside. I won't go outside, even if Jenny asks me to. For outside, I have to creep on the ground where everything is green instead of yellow. And here... I can creep smoothly on the floor. Listen. Listen, she's coming now. Coming. Darling, open the door. You hear me? Open the door. Oh, it's John at the door. Open the door, darling. Open it, please, dear. Oh, he does come and shout. No use, Dr. John. You can't open it. Open it, do you hear me, dear? Open it. Jenny, bring me the axe. Oh, no, he'll break down my beautiful door. John, dear, the key's down in front of the house under a plantain leaf. Please, my darling, please. It's down by the front door, John. Open the door, for heaven's sake, open it. I can't, I can't. The key's downstairs, John. It's under a plantain leaf by the front steps. It's under a plantain leaf, John. Go and see. Go and see. You'll, you'll find it if you look. You'll find it. <laughs> there. There. He's gone to look. The wallpaper 
and stop laughing. The evil thing. Now I can creep slowly, smoothly on the floor. Round and round, round and round and round. And my shoulder just fits into that long smudge on the wall so I can't lose my way. Oh, oh, he's coming back. He's running on the stairs. How astonished he'll be. Darling. Oh, my dear. My dear, what is it? What's happened? I've got out at last, John. Out? Out Yes, from... out in spite of you and Jenny. I pulled down the paper. I, sh- I shook the pattern and pushed and pulled it down. It stuck horribly. But you'll never, you'll never put me back. You'll never put me back. You're so pale, John. Why do you close your eyes? You watch. Watch how swiftly I creep around in this lovely yellow room. Fainted. Now why should that man have fainted? But he did. And right across my path by the wall. So that I have to creep over him every time. Round and round and round. Thank you, Agnes Moorhead, for a magnificent performance. Miss Moorhead will be back in just a moment. Oh, what a show. That Agnes Moorhead's really some actress. Well, I guess I better head for home in Motherland. Okay. Oh, yes. say, Mr. Martin, can you give me those simple words of yours again? My boy Billy pesters me with slogans. You bet, Mr. Horton. When you replace your narrow-gap spark plugs with a set of wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs, you can tell the difference in your car. For example, your engine idles smoother. You have better luck with leaner gas mixtures and save gas. And within established limits, you reduce spark plug interference with radio and television reception. So, switch to Autolite, because... Autolite means resistor spark plug. Ignition engineered spark plugs. Autolite means batteries. Stay full batteries. Autolite means ignition system. The lifeline of your car. And now, here again is Miss Agnes Moorhead. It's always a great pleasure for me to appear on Suspense. I've thoroughly enjoyed this appearance this evening. And next week, when I turn listener again, I'll join the rest of you to welcome Mr. Charles Lawton's return to these microphones in a role written especially for him. Next week, then, An Honest Man, starring Charles Lawton, on... Suspense. Agnes Moorhead may soon be seen in the Warner Brothers production, Johnny Belinda. Tonight's suspense play was adapted for radio by Sylvia Richards from an original story by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Music was composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. 
The entire production was under the direction of Anton M. Leader. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Mr. Charles Lawton in An Honest Man. saying goodnight, switch to Autolite. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was The Yellow Wallpaper from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that is, uh, again, part of our listener library series as we are doing requests this month from our listeners. That one came to us from Mark, who also gave us a bit of a homework assignment (laughs) for this. Uh, Let's just cut through all the nonsense and start this with, this is obviously an amazing and beautiful and wonderful piece of old-time radio. Yeah. I don't know how we could stumble around until the very end and then we all, well, I thought it was a class. Of course it is. I mean, this is really a great story, for starters. From the original to this adaptation, uh, it's really well written. It's extremely well performed by the First Lady of Suspense, Agnes Moorhead, who is phenomenal in just about everything she does, and that includes being Bewitched's mother. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, As they said at the top, this is where I rest my weary bones and listen to some Good old Agnes Moorhead. (laughs) I like at this point, she is such an important part of suspense that even Hap and the Autolite idiots are talking about. Who Agnes Moorhead's on it? Yeah, it's awesome. Even the sponsor is second fiddle as suspense says, That's enough of you guys talking. We're starting the show. (laughs) It interrupts their commercial, which I love. Like, okay. You guys are done. I like to imagine Agnes Moorhead sitting behind a mic giving them like a wrap it up gesture. Let's talk about the story of the yellow wallpaper. And as Mark had alluded to, this can be read or listened to in two different ways, or both ways at the same time. It is a terrifying story of someone that is the gaslighting is going on. She's being gaslit by her husband. And what was it, 1897? 1892, yeah, I think. Think about yeah. how long ago that was and how if someone just wrote that today, it'd be like, good story. right so so before we delve into the other things uh let's talk about the story uh on just a horror base i'm so grateful to mark for suggesting this one because the story of the yellow wallpaper is incredibly important to me personally it's all about the white male now right (laughs) that's right (laughs) it's really a story about me and my background uh i saw a live production of the yellow wallpaper back in 2000 something early Knots, whatever the 2000s were called, as part of the Minnesota Fringe Festival. Never read the story before, never knew anything about it, and just loved it to bits. It was a one-person show. Oh. And really kind of lit the fire into me of doing some horror theater and doing horror one-person shows, and and that's what I did some years later. This story really left a mark on me of how skillfully it was put together, how the subtlety of the psychology, I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in the most direct sense, at the time of the writing, as I understand it from what I've read, is that it was specifically a criticism of doctors and the rest cure, and and obviously the sexism behind that rest cure, but that women who had, you know, postpartum depression or any other ailment or concern or just didn't like their life for really good reasons were prescribed to 
sit in rooms alone, to take naps after every meal they ate, to not do any writing, which is a big part of this story, to not stimulate their little woman brains that would cause more agitation. And as the story goes, Gilman herself... Shut up and be still. Yeah, but she was uh, prescribed this and almost lost her mind, but stopped doing it and went back to working and writing. And oh, she so, wrote, so this is semi-autobiographical, oh. except for the crazy part of it, because she saw it like, someone could go insane doing this and went, right. oh, let me write about that. And did she write more? Or is this one of those people that wrote one story? And did she- No, she wrote some pretty famous um, like utopian future novels like metropolis like like, yeah like oh and i'm gonna totally forget it's like star wars it's not like her planet but it's something like it's her something and a future world that was all controlled by women wonder woman yeah yes she wrote wonder woman eric Uh, the idea of gaslighting is something that is truly terrifying to me it's one of those things that in fiction gets me but also when i see it in real life And when I've experienced it in real life, and what I mean is the idea of just constantly telling someone that what you perceive as reality is not reality, and then not backing it up with proof or any explanation, just saying, no, that's not true, is so frustrating and so crazy-making. When people do that to you, (laughs) and there's some national examples of this going on, (laughs) in fact, but when someone, you say, you are wearing jeans and they say no i'm not but you are nope i'm not and i completely see how you can absolutely go insane if you don't just let it go Mm -hmm. and just say yeah you're right you're not wearing jeans Mm -hmm. and move on but people know in their own experience i think everyone knows of a time in their life when i thought this was the case and i was wrong i needed someone i loved or trusted to point out to me where i was wrong right And so if someone is gaslighting, you have to proceed forward as if I'm never wrong. Right. You have to not trust the people that you would normally trust. Especially someone who you trust. And in the case of a husband and wife, a complete faith and respect and all of those things. And you say, well, of course, you would never lie to me and you would never. So this must be truthful to do that to someone and manipulate someone who has that kind of faith in you Mm -hmm. is unspeakable (laughs) it's terrible beyond the idea of individual relationships and gaslighting on an individual basis i think what you're looking at in this story too is that it is a cultural belief Mm -hmm. and it's not someone necessarily even trying to manipulate someone consciously i think the way the husband is portrayed both in the radio show and to a certain degree in the original short story is that he is part of this cultural belief and he actually believes it And it's not just psychological because there's also elements of this that are just physical. When you are confined and you can't move, which is why that last image is so spectacular, this almost like a cat circling the room, that tiny bit of territory, the only territory she's given. And I think that emphasizes the psychological and physical. Physical. And you had mentioned earlier that there's two different ways to see it. And there is the way of seeing it where this one is a genuine hazard to her child and Mm -hmm. her husband and Jenny are trying the mm-hmm. best they can to be patient and kind to her as they keep their child yeah. safe. But, and I would make the argument that that is 100% the intention of this suspense production and definitely the later one we didn't listen to because the later 1957 production actually has an opening monologue from the producer in which he just states, we are about to listen to one of the greatest tales of terror ever. And he puts it on 
the same pedestal with the Telltale, Telltale Heart, Heart. Mm-hmm. and the Pit and the Pendulum. And so they are really producing this as the story of a woman gone crazy. And I definitely think the performances support yeah. a reading of this not as feminist but gothic horror. The other part of it is there's this thing where you think, what if there are people behind the wallpaper trying to get out for real and she's not crazy? Maybe there's some spirits or things in this room and she actually is seeing them, which I love. Mm-hmm. All of that <laughs> There are readings terrifying... of this story where this is a ghost story. There is our, right. you know, H.P. Lovecraft loved it because he saw it as this realistic portrayal of madness. And you get the idea with those grooves along the wall that other women went crazy in this room. So a lot trying of to... those ideas fit it into this horror category. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for suspense particularly, one of the things that works against a feminist reading of the story, if you had never read The Yellow Wallpaper, mm-hmm. is the casting, at least in this version. Yeah. Because I think by then, you know Agnes Moorhead is playing these hysterical, crazy women, right? <laughs> Who you sometimes have a difficult time empathizing with. Amazing mm-hmm. performances, but she kind of has a, a craziness that distances the listener, I think, to a certain degree. And then when you throw in Bill Johnstone, the shadow, yeah. as her husband, you're yeah. immediately like, well, he's a good guy. He's the shadow, right? You, you know what I mean? Like, I think the script is a really true to the original story, yes. but I think the direction and performances definitely pull it into a straight horror reading. What they keep from the story that I think reinforces that this adaptation still holds some some punch as a feminist read on this is over and over one of the problems is they don't listen to her. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's what I was talking about, the gaslighting. Well, the difference between I'm being gaslit versus someone's trying to take care of me when I need taken care of. Right. The performance by Agnes Moorhead, mm-hmm. I think that this performance by her in this, I wrote, it is a beautiful descent into madness. Oh, it, it's a uh, wonderful performance. It, it's a fantastic descent and it's slow and it's grinding and it never gets to the point where that's too much and it doesn't go somewhere too fast or she's got nowhere to go she saves everything Mm -hmm. there's another level in the last minute (laughs) where that she can go even crazier and that builds the suspense and builds the terror of this story and those little asides that she does when she talks to someone oh yeah yeah yeah. those little bitter asides they're great as they go, and they also build up that sense of dissociation that she is pulling away from her environment mm-hmm. more and more, and just going into her head. There is a great performance when she does the muffled voice of the woman in the wallpaper yeah. that is hugely distressing. Yeah. I almost, it was so good, I almost wish they'd done it a few more places. She kind of slips into it when she's ripping off the wallpaper at the end, and sometimes her voice sounds a little muffled, like she's almost convinced that she's playing the part of the woman in the wallpaper and the narrator. And then she obviously eventually becomes convinced that she escaped from the wallpaper herself. And so it's a great acting moment to sort of merge those two ideas. And that great line, which I don't know if is in the original, I always lock the door when I creep around in the day. No, that's straight from the story. It's yeah, one of the best fantastic. lines. Yeah. And it sends a little chill yeah. down your spine. And the way she delivered it, there's a beat, she delivers it. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, what are some of the other things Mark wanted us to tackle? Does it work as a psychological horror story? And I think we're all agreed that oh, yes. Yeah. Does it work as a radio adaptation? Yes. yes. The one thing I would say, does it work as a suspense radio adaptation? Like, for me it does. But I asked the question, if you had no familiarity with the yellow wallpaper, 
it's very different from your usual suspense. Well, but you you hadn't read it, but you knew of it. Like for example, yeah, I knew of it. There is no again. This is not a criticism, but for the suspense formula, there is no twist. I see. At the top of the show, it's a woman going crazy, and the big twist is, yep, she's going crazy. So from a suspense formula, you listen to it and go, maybe the husband is doing this on purpose. Maybe he's poisoning her. Maybe those would be the kind of typical suspense twists. Like that first stinger is, I hated the wallpaper and it hated me too. Uh, That struck a little sour with me. Like, that's not really the vibe I get for the story of what's the important about the story is how the wallpaper feels about her. It it seemed like it was jammed in there for a suspense sting. I would love to hear back from listeners who maybe had no familiarity with the yellow wallpaper what they think of this episode. I think the, the suspense aspect of it, though, as I said earlier, is the idea as you're sitting there, is she going crazy or are there people trapped behind the wallpaper trying to get out? But that comes pretty late in the suspense structure. Yeah. All I'm saying is this is very different structurally from a lot of suspense episodes. Okay. Like I said, I think this is a fantastic adaptation of the short story. I would be interested to hear this script performed in a slightly different way, asking the audience for slightly different sympathies than perhaps the performers did in this recording. Mm-hmm. I find that interesting what sort of power knowing the actors and knowing what they've been cast in previously can affect your feelings toward the characters. Yeah. I, I, like, I have seen two live versions of this, and in that same vein of like the relationship between the husband and Jenny becomes very sinister when you sympathize with the wife. Yes. Of, like they're ganging up against me. I'm helpless in my own home. Yeah, and at the top... She's pretty defensive already. She does not like Jenny, and I don't know that we really get an idea from the radio version why she doesn't, because the actress plays Jenny in a really reasonable, yeah, happy way. And so it's another reason to make you think this is just a woman who's crazy. And it's that central question of who do you trust for reliable information, and in this case, we're led to trust Bill Johnstone and Jenny. I mean, he's condescending. There are moments where you're like, come on, but no more condescending than he is to Margot Lang. <laughs> and since Agnes Moorhead did play Margot Lane, there's a little bit of me who was thinking, is this what the shadow does to Margot Lane eventually? <laughs> is there any insinuation of a relationship between the husband and Jenny? Not in the original, but because I think the suspense structure makes you suspect that that's maybe that's not really at. a sister. Are they plotting against her? Yes, that's what I'm getting yeah. at. Especially when she's overhearing them and listening to them talk about mm-hmm. her. I think the struggle against the suspense structure air quotes, is how much the, there's not really a plot, really. It's very character-driven. Yeah. The character is the plot. What's surprising and enjoyable about it are the performances and the details as it unfolds. It is not a plot twist episode at all, which is very rare for suspense. Um, and it's interesting, if you get a chance, listeners, to hear the 1957 version, Agnes Moorhead is almost 10 years older, and she attacks it in a stronger way, as Mark pointed out. She seems more unhinged from the top, and she's older, so again, I could call back to Bewitch. She sounds more like... <laughs> like her Eudora? Yeah, Eudora, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, she's maybe just going to turn John into a rat. Endora, Endora. Endora, yeah. I just made the uh, the husband joke where he couldn't get her name right. <laughs> or, and she called him Durwood. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. I point that out because it's interesting what small changes in performance and tone can have on interpretation of authorial intent. Right. Well, uh, that's all I got. 
Yeah, <laughs> that was uh, really, really beautifully done. It was really fun to listen to. And I will say, from the suspense standpoint, in the dark, with my eyes closed, listening to this story, it is terrifying. So, yes, it works on the radio. Yes, it's a horror story that stands the test of time. I know what you're saying, Joshua, but I, I believe it hits all the marks for suspense. I think there is... Well, I think, I think, it, it, I think it. it does hit the marks. I'm just saying it is an outlier, and I would sure. be curious if someone who is not familiar with the original story, would it throw them off a little? Right. It's not as outlying as, you know, the gibbering things in the shadow. Yeah. It's a little closer to home than that. But you're right. It's slightly different. And that final image, which is straight from the story of her crawling on all fours, rubbing mm-hmm. her shoulder against that groove that is mysteriously already there in the wall and mm-hmm. climbing over her husband who has fainted at the side of it is pretty chilling because mm-hmm. you mentioned the the shoulder height groove i had always taken that in the story to be that she is just now seeing the effects of her own circling that she had she's she been put doing that, that the entire time well yeah it's mm-hmm. open to those type yeah. of interpretations mm-hmm. or is it really close to the ground because as they say at the top oh kids just did that mm-hmm. yeah or is this a room that some other mad woman has been trapped in mm-hmm. and she is sort of revisiting that because the claw marks where they are and the bed is bolted to the ground and bars in the window so yeah. there's that suggestion that maybe right. someone else got locked in here or maybe the children went insane <laughs> do we need to uh explain for younger listeners of the podcast what wallpaper is <laughs> <laughs> No? Are we good? Okay. <laughs> I, I feel confident, but if you have any questions, <laughs> listeners, yeah, e- email us. Don't go, don't trust the internet. We'll tell you what wallpaper is. <laughs> I will say, we know what wallpaper is. We're not gaslighting here, but we know. I will say that the concept of wallpaper is so ridiculous. What a really hard thing to put up for very little uh, results. Just paint the wall. <laughs> so much work. You know, we're not sure how it works as a feminist critique, but as a critique of wallpaper, yeah. this is brutal. Oh. <laughs> This is a vicious critique of wallpaper. (laughs) All right, let's uh, throw our final votes in. Tim? Classic. 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 Stands test of time. There you have it. Boom. Thank you, Mark. Really uh, wonderful to listen to that, and thanks for the recommendation. And we'll be getting to three skeleton key, Mark, the other recommendation. That's coming down the pipe. I would say that is our most requested episode. Yeah. If you want to learn more about the mysterious old radio listening society, go visit ghoulishdelights.com. There you'll find out information about our live shows. We uh, will be performing live shows at the James J. Hill Center uh, coming up in the next few months. Uh, you'll also find other episodes of this podcast. And when we say live shows, just want to clarify, we do recreations of old-time radio shows. It's not coming to watch us do a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> which some people do. Oh. Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> Also, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and go to iTunes and write a review. I would challenge any listener to do a feminist critique disguised as a horror story review. I will high-five you if <laughs> you can pull that off. Drive to where you live. Wherever you live. I don't care. North Dakota, I'm there. I will so you high-five. Yes. <laughs> All right, and whatever Instagram is, please uh, enjoy it and go there. And someday you guys will explain to me why that's important. Who's got the next one? Is it me? It's you. Yeah. What are we doing? Oh, that's right. It's the Horla, uh, and we're doing the uh, version done by Peter Laurie's Mystery in the Air. Until next time. Look out! 
Well, here's where I rest my weary bones and listen to Agnes Moorhead. Well, now that that's settled, uh, you'd better run along, Derwood. We don't want you to be late for doing whatever it is you do. 